Next Sunday is Father's Day. I'm mentioning it because if you wait till next Sunday, it'll be too late. Uh, but when, a, as a father, you know, one of uh, the gifts that's most precious to me, it's, it, it's not really, I don't, I don't really need a new set of ratchets or some, some more socks. Um, it's, it's the presence of my children, right? It's spending time uh, with them. That's the, that's the best gift you can give your father. Um, now, the second best gift is to give him a good pun, you know, a good dad joke. So we've supplied one on the, uh, you know, the, the signboard outside, so make sure you pay attention to that. Um, but, you know, the opposite is true, too. Not, I'm not, not the opposite, but in, in terms of, like, fathers, it's good that you want to provide for your families, and that's very important. But the most precious gift you can give to your families is your presence, is being there. And what's true of people, like that's also very true of God, and that the most precious thing that God can give us is his presence, especially because there is nothing greater than God. He is the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. There's nothing better. There's nothing higher than God, and yet he gives us his presence. He, he uh, came, God the Son came, and in the person of Jesus, he gave his life, gave himself, walked among us, and he continues to give himself in the person of the Holy Spirit. So we began this series on the Holy Spirit last week, and one of the reasons that we began this series is we want to understand what does that mean? That God gave himself. What does Pentecost mean? Last week was Pentecost Sunday, and God gives himself. He pours out his Holy Spirit. Well, what does that mean? What does that look like? In these weeks, we're studying that. Because often, when it comes to the Holy Spirit, we misunderstand who he is. We, uh, his power is either missing in our lives or misapplied. So we want to go deeper. Also, 2022 is, uh, we, we say it's our year of connection. That in 2022, we want to connect with God, connect with one another, and connect with our community. Well, the Holy Spirit, he, we connect with God through the, the Holy Spirit. And as Chrissy just prayed for revival, if we're really going to connect with our community in a way that changes people's eternities, we can't do that, but the Holy Spirit can so if we want to connect with our community, the Holy Spirit is the key. So that's some of the reasons why we're going through this series. And again, last week we started this series uh, with Pentecost, talking about how Pentecost, God fulfills his promises. He fulfills his promises to pour out his Holy Spirit upon all people who believe in him. We talked about how the Apostle Peter, when he gives his sermon on Pentecost, he connects the fact that Jesus died for our sins. He rose from the dead. He's at God's right hand. And because of that, Jesus is Lord. He's the one who pours out the Holy Spirit. He's cleansed us so God can dwell in us. And that's the promise of Pentecost. So today, we're going to look a little bit more about, well, what does this mean? This gift of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost, well, who is this Holy Spirit? 
And he is a person, not a power or a force. So maybe some of you are watching the new Obi-Wan series, you know, and they always talk about the force and all of that. And, and the force is some sort of non-personal kind of energy that you use. That's not the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is a, is a person. True, the Holy Spirit's ways are often mysterious because, and we'll talk about this, is that the person of the Holy Spirit, well, we're people too. And there's a relationship that goes on there where the Holy Spirit, he indwells us, but yet we're still people. And that interaction can be somewhat mysterious where we have to figure out, well, wait a minute, is, is that the Holy Spirit working? Is that the Holy Spirit speaking to me or is that just me? So that's why sometimes that can be mysterious in that way. Or we see the Holy Spirit because he indwells God's believers. We see him working in other people. But we, we, we say, wait, is that, is, that that, is that that person or is that the Holy Spirit working through them, speaking through them? And a part of this is because, as we spoke about last week with Pentecost, the promise of this, God's promises are already and not yet. The promise of Pentecost is already, already God has fulfilled his promise to pour out his presence, his spirit on all those who believe in him. But that full and final consummation of the age has not yet come. And so as we live in this world that all, of, all sin, death, has not been totally and fully and finally done away with, we still live in this flesh. We still deal with sin. There's still uh, suffering in this world. That has not yet been a done away with. But we already have the Spirit. God's eternal promises are already breaking into our world. And because of that, the Holy Spirit... Because of that dynamic, the Holy Spirit can seem somewhat mysterious, but yet he is the living God. So let's first look. My, that, that's really the first point that I want to make today, and that is the Spirit is God. And the presence of the Spirit is the presence of God. That was the promise we talked about, right? That God, he's promising the Spirit. So that means if he's promising his spirit, he's promising himself. So let's look at our first scripture, Psalm 139, verses 7 and 8 says this. Where shall I go from your spirit, or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. So here, in typical Hebrew poetic format, parallelism, the spirit is equated with God's presence. Now, I share this scripture with you. There's a lot of New Testament scriptures, and we'll look at a couple of them that, that clearly state that the Spirit is God, that the presence of the Spirit is the presence of God. But I wanted to share with you this Old Testament scripture so you don't get the impression that somehow the Holy Spirit really didn't exist before Jesus. No, the Spirit is God, and therefore He is eternal. And in the Old Testament, the Spirit of God, he would visit prophets and kings so that they could advance God's plan by, by either being empowered to speak the message of God or be supernaturally empowered to, to do all sorts of things. But these same prophets who were empowered by the Spirit, they wrote the scriptures, but they also foresaw the day when God's Spirit would actually indwell all of God's people. And on Pentecost, that promise was fulfilled. And so what is new 
at Pentecost. Because as we talked about last week, Pentecost, it's, it's a turning uh, in salvation history. It's a turning point. But what's new is not the Holy Spirit. What's new is that God is pouring out his spirit on all of his people to indwell them um, from there into eternity. They're the seal of, uh, uh, he's the seal for uh, eternal life. And that indwelling presence, not, God's not just with them. He's not just in the prophets. He's not just in the kings. He is in all of God's people. That's the turning point. And so when Jesus cleanses us from our sins. We become temples. He, he prepares us so that we each can be temples of the Holy Spirit that God can indwell. And that is an amazing promise. That's a tremendous turning point in salvation history. So building on that, so the, Spirit, the presence of the Spirit is the presence of God. The Holy Spirit is God. Well, we build on that and say, God is a trinity. We sang some great songs that really uh, emphasized that truth. But I want to also go further and say, yes, God is a trinity, but also there's nothing higher, there's no gift better than the gift of God himself. Let me share with you Deuteronomy 6, 4, and 5. This is the Shema prayer that many Jewish people continue to speak. And it says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. So the first part, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Yes, we believe in a triune God, but we believe in one God. We're monotheists like our Jewish forebearers. There's one God. And we can't forget that second part of the Shema, and that is he is to be loved with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the Bible variously refers to um, the Father as God, to Jesus as God, and to the Spirit as God. But yet, there's one God. So this God is unified in one essence, and yet he eternally exists in three persons, a trinity. Now, this, this is a great mystery. It is. And yet, God has revealed enough of himself to be a triune God, to believe that God, yes, he's, he's triune. There's a mystery to it, but God has clearly revealed himself as Father, Son, and Spirit. And yet, one God. And this trinity, this idea, also fits with how God, he can manifest his presence uh, for instance, when Jesus walked the world, God the Son came, comes to earth. He walks, he prays to the Father in heaven. He receives the Holy Spirit at his baptism. And the, the Father says, this is my Son who I'm well pleased. How does that work? Well, God revealed it, that that's the truth. I don't know exactly how it works, but Father, Son, and Spirit. And yet one God. So God, when, when Jesus is, is walking the, the world, God is still transcending over everything. Or when we say God is present with us now, his personal presence here, that doesn't mean that he's not overseeing and transcending all of creation. So he is present. God is present not just his power 
but his person. Do you see how important that is? Because when we say God is here, it means God is here. The person of the Holy Spirit is here, not just his power. It's not just electricity like, hey, we want to have a good worship set, so let's plug in the mics, let's plug, get some electricity going on, and so utilize that power. No, the Holy Spirit is a person who we relate to. So we can say the person of God is here. Do you see the, the beauty and the power of that gift? Not just a power to tap into, but the creator and sustainer of the universe, the person of God. And sometimes, though, we can treat the spirit like a power and not a person. And again, some of the reasons is that we, we encounter him in an internal way, and we are, we are people, and so there's that interplay between all right, the, the Holy Spirit and us, and so we can sometimes get energized. We sometimes can feel his power working in us, but we can never lose sight of the fact that we're connecting to a person, the person of God, not just a power. And that's so important because if God is to be the God above all, right, he's God, I'm not, then we need to not use God and his power, but relate to God as God and allow him to have his will be done. But So let's not allow the power of God working in us and through us to take away from the fact that we're dealing with a personal God. You know, we refer to the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And many of the, the Jewish folks in the time of Jesus, they would refer to God's presence, his, his presence in the temple as the Shekinah glory in the temple. Now, Shekinah comes from the Hebrew word Shekin, which means to dwell. And so they would talk about how God's presence, his glory presence is indwelling the temple in Jerusalem. And then sometimes they would refer to the Shekinah and Holy Spirit interchangeably as well. But the temple was the place that the Shekinah glory of God, the personal presence of God, dwelt but they knew that the temple can't contain God, right? That, that his presence is here, his Shekinah is here, his spirit is here in the temple, but yet he is still um, above all the earth. The temple doesn't contain him. But yet, because his person, his presence was there, that was the place they would go to worship, That would be the place they would go to offer animal sacrifices because they knew they sinned and they cannot approach a holy God with sin because sin and God, God's glory, they don't go together. And so they would do animal sacrifices there. All the priests would gather and sing praises at that place because the understanding was, yeah, that the person of God is there. It's not just some, some power of God. God, his name is dwelling there. But the other thing about the temple was that it was a place of God's presence, but it was also somewhat of a barrier. It was a safeguard. Because sinful people, 
even people who have trusted in God, they understood they couldn't go into the presence of a holy, perfect God because, well, they were of the flesh. They still had sin in their life. And, and God and that which is against God, that's what sin is, they, they, can't, they can't go together. And because God is supreme, all sin flees from his presence. So that's a problem there. Because if we want to go before God, appear before God, and we have sin, then we die. We, we die. So that's why the temple, in some cases, was a safeguard. God is in that place. His presence is in that place. But there's a veil there, because if I see God, his true presence, I'm going to die. So the, the, the temple was there to protect people, sinful people, from a holy God. So yes, you can connect to his presence, but there are safeguards there so that you wouldn't die because God's personal presence is wholly other. It's kind of like the human body cannot take um, being near nuclear uh, radiation, right? You can't see nuclear radiation, but it'll tear you apart. Even though you can't see it, and in fact, when the Russians invaded Ukraine and took over the Chernobyl region, they, even though that happened decades ago, they were digging around in the sand and they, would, they were um, getting sick because of that radiation. Why? Because that can't, the human body and that can't coexist. And it's, that's sort of an illustration of, of, of sin and God. And so the temple was created to, to, yes, allow God's presence to be given to the people, but not in a way that they would die. Now, why do I unpack all of this? And some of you might have even tuned out. Ah, that's Old Testament. That's like theology stuff. I'm not here for a theology class. Um, well, I, I, get, I unpack that all because think about that. Christ has died for our sins. He is our representative. So thus, holy, perfect God can dwell in us. All, all the stuff, all of the barriers, all of the gold of the temple, and it was just, it was blinged out. There was gold over everything it was the largest structure in Jerusalem, all to communicate the wonder and majesty that God's presence is with us. All of that. Now God says, I'm giving it to you. I, I'm giving my presence not to be out there, but to be in you. And again, how is that even possible? Because Christ cleanses us from the inside out so that we don't die because Christ died. And that glory presence of God, the person of God, cannot just, we, we, don't, we don't just, we can't just go to God's presence, but God's presence comes to us. And that's an amazing truth. It's an amazing, wonderful truth. But the Spirit himself, God himself, is the gift, the most precious gift. Because there's nothing grander, one more wonderful than God's presence. And that's why we're to love the Lord our God with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength because anything other than that is a lie. Because God is, God's the, the most precious. He is number one. 
And so anytime we act or, or treat God as not number one, that's, we're not in line with the truth of the universe. And I, I say this because God gives us himself, but we still can fall into idolatry. What I mean by that is when we use God for any other purpose other than what, if we use God, if we use God that's idolatry. Because God is the, the number one, the, the, the alpha and the omega. If we seek God because of the blessing he brings, then that blessing is God and not God himself. Do you see what I'm saying? That God is not a means to an end. He is the ultimate end. He is the alpha and the omega. And let's be very frank. <laughs> Hi, I'm frank. Um, oftentimes, we seek God. We want God as a part of our lives to bring the blessings. Not for God himself. And, that's, and that difference is so important because that is idolatry. And when we want God to say, show up in our church, yes, that is a wonderful thing. We want God to show up in our church. But if we want God to, you know, God, grow our church. God, give me blessings. God, give me this gift and that gift without understanding. No, no, I want God first. He is the gift. And when God shows up, that stuff happens but let's not confuse it because that's idolatry. There's no better gift than God's presence. And the amazing truth here is God gave us himself. He gave us his presence. That unmatched grace of God's gift of himself through Christ. It's, it's our next scripture um, in 2 Corinthians 3, 17 through 18. The Apostle Paul's writing to the church in Corinth, and he says this. He says, now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. So, yes, I want to point out that clearly it states the Lord is the Spirit, right? The Spirit is the Lord. The God, the Spirit is God. But the, the main point here in context, and I encourage you to read the whole thing, is that the gift of the Spirit on our hearts surpasses the law of Moses given on stone tablets, even though that law came with glory. So, uh, again, I, this is your homework. Go read the end of Exodus 33 and Exodus 34. And in Exodus 33, Jesus, excuse me, Moses says, uh, God, show me your glory. And God says, Moses, you're a great guy. You know, you've served me well, but no one can see my glory and live. But Moses says, no, I want, your pre I want to see your presence, your unfiltered presence. And, and God says, oh, you can't handle it, but here's what I'll do. You, can, you, you can't take my glory full on, but I'll, I'll put you in, in a rock and sort of cover you with my hand. And so you can see the backside of my waning glory. That you can take. And he gives his presence to Moses. But you know what happens? Moses, he's glowing. 
The, the presence of God is so powerful that Moses, he's glowing. And, and then he, God also gives him the law, the covenant of the law. So when, when Moses comes down from the mountain with the stone tablets, he's glowing. You can't be in the presence of God and be unchanged. So that means either, you, if you're in the presence of God, you can't be unchanged, meaning you'll die because death is change. You can't handle it. Or with Moses' case, he's glowing, he's radiating God, he's changed. But back to Corinthians here, what the Apostle Paul is saying is that the law that came with such glory that Moses was glowing. We all, and, and, and therefore he had to veil his face. So Moses would go around, he was glowing, so he'd have to put a veil on his face so people, I don't know, wouldn't get distracted or something. He's saying, no, that veil has been lifted. And also that same law that came, Moses came down with talk, uh, talked about the construction of the tabernacle. That's the, the portable temple before the stone temple. But um, that, those same kind of regulations that said, yes, I'm going to be your God, I'm going to be my presence is going to be with you. So here's the instructions of building the tabernacle, the veils. The Apostle Paul here is saying, now the Lord is this, um, in verse yeah, 18, we with unveiled face beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. That we have that that gift of being transformed from one degree of glory to another, that because God's presence is in us, it changes us, that, that we are transformed so that we become more and more like this God that we are in relation to. God's presence is given to us so that we would become more like him. And this is not just doctrine. I know I've been dropping lots of doctrine on you, but I want to share this quote from, from Craig Keener, this book, Gift and Giver, a quote for you to contemplate. He says, the Holy Spirit is not just a doctrine, an idea, or experience to be tagged onto life. He is the God who has invaded our lives with his transforming presence. That's so nice. I'm going to read it twice. The Holy Spirit is not just a doctrine, an idea, or experience to be tagged onto life. He is the God who has invaded our lives with his transforming presence. Friends, can you say that about your faith? That God the Spirit has invaded your life and his presence is transforming you. If no, could it be that we've been seeking God's blessing, and maybe not seeking God himself? Again, it's very subtle, and we can seek the blessings of God, but no, seek God himself, the glory that, that made Moses glow, that was in the law. That glory is meant to abide in our hearts. That's the glory of God's presence. And that's why our faith, our gatherings, our eternity, it is all about God's presence. It's about God's presence. Let's start with eternity because we talked about already and not yet. 
that already God has given us himself and, and those eternal blessings of God's glory in, in heaven are, are bleeding back into our lives now so that the spirit indwells us, and, and, but yet we're still people, right? We still have our person, and the person of God relates to us personally. And yet, we cannot forget the fact that eternity is about God's presence. It's about God's presence. Uh, Revelation chapter 21, verse 22, it gives us a picture of heaven. And John says, I saw no temple in the city. It's a heavenly Jerusalem. For its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it life. And its lamp is the Lamb. God's presence is what heaven is centered upon. Heaven is about the presence of God. So let me say this. And this always hits me right between the eyes. And that is if you don't want God at the center of your life, then heaven is not for you. Because that's what heaven's about. Heaven is about the presence of God. And so some people say, oh, would it be fair for God to, to cast people out of his presence? No, that's what we choose. That's what we want. But if we want God as the center of our life, God says, yes, I will give you my presence. I will give you my glory forever to enjoy. He can't give anything better. So eternity is about God's presence. But so is the right now. So if you don't want God as the center of your life, then also might I say you don't want the Christian faith because the Christian faith is about God being number one. That's our faith. Our faith is that God is God. Father, Son, and Spirit, he is high above all things, and I trust that he is the God who reveals himself. He is the God whose presence he has given. He's given it to us in our lives right now are about making that reality, that gift, that promise, more of a lived-out reality in our lives. So that when, when we live, we're living out the presence of God. When we, our mission in life is to help bring the presence of God to those who have never experienced him or don't know about him. That's what the Christian life is about. It's about the presence of God. But again, here's the grace of God. That he's already, it's not something we have to work towards. Oh, the presence of God, i got to work up towards that. No, it is a free gift. On Pentecost, God fulfills those promises. He says, I'm giving you myself. In fact, I sent my son. God the Father sent his son. And the, the, the Holy Son of God gave his life on the cross to cleanse us so that we could receive the gift of his presence. He's done it all. God has done it all to give you himself. Will we take him up on that precious gift? So what I want us to do for whole, this, this week, and I, I, I get it, because I know many of you, and I feel this too, I'm like, yes, yes, I want God more. I want more God's, of God's presence. But then you know that maybe in a couple hours you'll go home and you'll forget to pray, you'll forget to read your Bible, you'll uh, snap at a loved one, you'll lose your temper, you'll uh, all of this stuff. 
and the reality of the gift of God's presence, it'll be a reality that you'll be like, I, that, I want it, but I, but I can't. That's where we, again, we, re, we just need to open our hearts and say, yes, it's a gift. That in the already and not yet, we are, already, we are still struggling. God has not totally done away with sin and suffering, and so we will struggle. But if God has given us himself, then how do you draw closer? How do you get to know some person better? It's a relationship. And relationships take time to develop. Relationships, especially one where God's presence is in you, it takes, a, it takes a lifetime and then eternity to be working out. God, what are you saying? What's my will? What's your will? And, and I struggle with this sin. Well, God doesn't struggle with sin, but yet his power and his goodness can transform that part of your life. So it is a relationship. So I can't tell you, oh, just do these three things, and then you'll always be walking in the Spirit. It's no, as you seek God, as you continually say, God, let me open up the gift of your presence daily, minute by minute, day by day, you grow in relationship to him. And so, very simply, all I can say is, today, let's start by asking God, God, let me seek you. God, I want more of you in my life. If you, it's simple, God, I want more of you in my life. Again, he's given his presence, you're taking him up on his promise if it sounds simple, but if you very simply and sincerely ask constantly, God, I want more of you in my life, let's see what he does. See what he does in your life. Let's see what he does in our church's life. And you know, we, we, uh, meet, we're meeting tonight in the pavilion every second Sunday we meet. And you know why we do that? We basically, that's what we do. There's not really a sermon. Basically, we get together and say, God, we want more of you. God, we open our hearts, we invite, we're inviting you here and asking us, what are you inviting us into? That's one way that we try to do this. But each one of us, God, I want more of you in my life. And so as we sing this last song, let this song be our prayer. Let it be your prayer. As you ask, God, I want more of you in my life. And then you trust that he's going to give you himself because he already has. He's done everything already. Do you think he's going to hold back now? He's already given the life of his precious son. Let's pray. Lord God, we pray. We want more of you. Lord, dwell in the midst of us. Have your will in us. We open our hearts to you now. And God, as sincerely as we know, Lord, we know that we're divided people. And, but as sincerely as we can, Lord, we ask for more of you in our lives. We acknowledge your presence. And we pray, Lord, that we would be so open to your presence that you would be filling us. So, Lord, we take all the sins Lord, all the distractions that are, that are filling us up right now, and we put them aside. We confess them to you. We, we put them away from us so that our hearts are wide open to receive more of you. 
And we thank you, God. We take you up on your promise that you've given us yourself. So dwell in us, dwell among us, work in us. And Lord, for each person here, I pray that as we're singing this song, they are, this is the, this is our heart's cry. And you would answer our prayers by dwelling in us, dwelling among us, and we have more of you. We leave this place glowing like Moses, but understanding that you've even given a a, a greater portion and, Lord, a a, a larger uh, fulfillment of your promise through the Spirit. Thank you, Lord. May we be walking in that promise. May we be walking in your presence. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.